Thank you for listening to this podcast on the role of inflammation in the treatment of diabetic macular edema. This podcast is sponsored by Alamira Sciences, the makers of Alluvian. Alluvian provides consistent, continuous treatment of DME for up to 36 months. Patient results discussed in this podcast illustrate positive outcomes using Alluvian in an actual patient. Results may vary across patients. Illuvian, fluocinolone acetonide intravitreal implant, 0.19 mg, is indicated for the treatment of diabetic macular edema, DME, in patients who have been previously treated with a course of corticosteroids and did not have a clinically significant rise in intraocular pressure. Illuvian should not be used in patients who have advanced glaucoma or have an active or suspected infection in or around the eye. The most common side effects reported in patients with diabetic macular edema who were treated with Illuvian include cataracts, Illuvian 82%, sham 50%, and increased eye pressure, Illuvian 34%, sham 10%. For more detailed safety information on Illuvian, please go to hcp.illuvian.com. Now, on to the podcast. We hope that you find it enjoyable and informative. So welcome everyone again to the third and final installment of this podcast series where we are discussing the optimal manage of DME, the role that inflammation plays and how we consider these points in how we treat our patients. So in the first two podcasts, we discussed not only the role that inflammation plays in pathophysiology, uh, but we also discussed how that pathophysiology then leads to uh, the damage and some of the clinical findings that we see in our patients. And in this third part, we will discuss more clearly uh, what can we do about that inflammation? What can we do to uh, truly optimize our treatment by uh, addressing that inflammation? So let me lead off with uh, this. If uh, Mitchell and Christina, where I think we're all in agreement that inflammation plays uh, a significant role uh, in this disease process, how do you address it in your day-to-day clinical practice? In other words, what are the patients that you identify uh, concretely? Uh, if you can give patient examples, what are the patients that you identify that could benefit from steroid therapy? Uh, and in particularly, you know, long-term uh, control of this chronic inflammation. So I'll kick this part off. So when I look at my patients, the first thing I do when I talk to a new patient with diabetes is I ask them, how long they've had diabetes for, because that really guides my my treatment protocol and how I want to approach them. Because if they're a newly diagnosed di- diabetic and they're relatively young, uh, I have a relatively good idea that this hasn't been a problem for their whole life, unless they're a type one. Um, but if they're a type two diabetic and they've had the disease or they're in the later part of their lives in their 50s, 60s, 70s, we know that something has been going on in their eye for a long time because it's been affecting their whole body for a long time. So these are patients I tend to move to steroids at a much earlier uh, portion than everybody else. Uh, Also, the older patients, we tend to be a little bit less worried about cataract formation because they probably already have a cataract, so they know they're going to need cataract surgery at some point. They're already presbyopic at that point, so having cataract surgery is really a benefit to them for the most part. Uh, so they're really 
the slam dunk kind of cases for uh, steroid therapy. Uh, but the other ones that I really like to get steroids in early on are patients with very, very thick maculas. Because I find in, in my clinical practice that patients who have a very quick, thick um, central retinal thickness, we see the anti-VEGF just doesn't seem to work. I'm not sure exactly why it doesn't penetrate as well, but it just doesn't seem to do as good of a job at controlling the macular edema. And so um, I get steroids in them much, much earlier on, and they do respond much better uh, with early steroid therapy. So Christina, uh, you know, jumping off what uh, Mithil said, you know, he pointed out that patients with chronic disease, uh, uh, chronic diabetic disease are more likely to have sort of chronic and more severe DME. But talk to me a little bit about what you look for. You alluded to this earlier, which I think is something very interesting that we would all hope for, which is some sort of biomarker to tell us which patients have uh, inflammatory mediated disease. But tell me a little bit about just the the sort of nuts and bolts of the presentation on your imaging. Uh, uh, You know, what do you look for on that OCT? Do you look for anything on FA? Do you look for anything that says, hey, this is a patient that might benefit from steroids. Uh, and including that, perhaps maybe what your algorithm is as far as how you incorporate anti-VEGF therapy. Absolutely. So I think Mithil hit on a lot of great points. Biomarkers are at the top of everyone's wish list when it comes to deciding your starting therapeutic for patients with DME. And unfortunately, while a lot of study has been done in this area, we don't have a clear answer to what is best. I agree that, you know, generally what I look for, spongy, diffuse thickening, diffuse smoldering leakage on FA, and even things like hyperreflective foci on OCT, those are some markers to me that indicate more of an inflammatory role. And generally in my experience, I find that those patients do have nice responses to steroid therapy. But honestly, a lot of this is anecdotal, and you'll even look through the literature that there are still conflicting points of view with what is reliable. So we need something more than that. But I agree with uh, what Mithil said. I think that, you know, of course, the, the characteristics of patients generally who would be good for steroid therapy, such as alluvian, include patients who are pseudophagic, who don't have a history of intraocular pressure increase or glaucoma, and don't have a steroid response to prior therapies. Those are all good features. But other things that I think about are patients who, and generally, by the way, to your other question, I generally start almost everybody on anti-VEGF because I do think that they work for a significant proportion of of patients. And some of the side effects that can come with steroids are avoided with the anti-VEGF. So I almost always start people on that. But then I'll see how they do after three to five injections. And I guess my number one instigator of when I would turn to steroid therapy would be patients who continue to have persistent fluid. So efficacy is first and foremost for me. If they don't respond completely to anti-VEGF, I start thinking about steroids, even if they may not necessarily fit all the ideal characteristics. The second group of patients I think about are patients who do respond, but are really struggling with the treatment burden. And that may sound not as important as things like efficacy, but uh, you know, we all, I think, agree that it can be a struggle for these patients. They have many, many visits over the course of a month and a year. And if you can decrease that treatment burden for them, some of those patients, especially the ones who are uh, more ideal, can be a great candidate for steroid therapies such as Alluvian. And then the third class of patients are those who bounce around. So those who do respond, so there is efficacy, 
and maybe duration's not a, as big of an issue for them, but who tend to swell back up again at weeks three or four. And I think Mitchell was really alluding to this in one of his examples earlier on. That bounciness, those oscillations we've learned from our neovascular AMD data are thought to do serious damage. I mean, just think about the mechanical stretching of those Mueller cells we talked about in episode one. That is not good. And so sometimes those patients really benefit from continuous microdosing, which Alluvian offers, because it helps to smooth out those oscillations. Yeah, I think you bring up an, a, an extremely interesting point. I think that, um, you know, it's important uh, to discuss, you know, as we have the role that inflammation plays, it's also important to discuss that treating inflammation is important, but then I think it's very important to discuss uh, how treating inflammation is important. Uh, and I think that we can all agree that patients with persistent fluid, uh, patients with chronic disease, uh, patients with biomarkers that are as of yet uh, been defined, but that we may think uh, may point to uh, such things like diffuse leakage on FA, retinal thickness, subretinal fluid, you know, this is important, but how you treat that is also important. And I think that you bring up uh, the point of stability. And Amito, you were talking about, you know, this whole, the retina doing push-ups idea. Uh, but if also we're talking about inflammation, you know, you don't want to just treat the inflammation and then have it come back because that also does damage. And then in a very real practical sense, it's treatment burden, right? So I think that, you know, one of the most uh, interesting studies that, that has come out recently, and, and we can talk about real-world data, which I often find uh, more interesting than mandated uh, protocol treatment, but the user study uh, looked at stability not only from a visual acuity standpoint, uh, where visual gains were maintained, uh, where patients with relatively good vision had uh, maintenance of, of that vision, uh, even with very few treatments after instituting uh, Illuvian, uh, but that the retinal thickness also uh, maintained quite stable, and that's that concept of microdosing uh, and having sustained uh, chronic uh, anti-inflammatory effect over a course of time. So, you know, with that being said, knowing that the user data showed that the amount of treatment burden was decreased in many of these patients after they had uh, uh, Alluvian on board. Maybe you can talk to uh, us and, and, you know, I'll start with you, Mitchell, and then maybe, Christina, you can chime in. How do you, once you decide that you want to use a steroid, how do you decide what kind of steroid do you want, you know, you want to use in these patients, and, and how do you opt for using Alluvian? Yeah, so it's, it's a very important question here because you have to know what to do and, and how you're going to approach that question. Uh, so one of the things that is always foremost in everyone's mind when they're using a steroid uh, is the, the risk of glaucoma and, and IOP rise. So when the pressure rises, most of the time nowadays with these uh, injectable steroids, we can actually control it with drops now because we have all of these amazing glaucoma drops now with the new one just came out recently. So now we have um, a fifth uh, line of, of treatment for intraocular pressure rise. So I tend not to have too much of an issue with uh, pressure rises from, from these steroids because what ends up happening is I end up usually starting uh, with a big bolus uh, of some sort of steroid, either triamcinolone or dexamethasone, just to see how the patient really responds to uh, the pressure rise. And then if it does rise, I do my best to control it with topical treatments. 
And if it's controllable with topical treatments, I'll continue them on steroids. Because if I can control their glaucoma, the, the next thing we need to control is the other nerve in the eye, and that's the retina. Because you can't go back once the neur neural tissue dies. So you need to get that under control as much as possible. And these are patients who, for the most part, are not really well controlled with anti-VEGF alone. So we need to protect the nerves because ultimately that leads to vision loss. So we need to make sure that we prioritize the neural tissue over other tissues. And as long as we can maintain the pressure control with, with topical therapy, and even surgical glaucoma treatments are very effective and tend to be a lot less uh, morbidity and, 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 and other issues uh, with the newer glaucoma treatments especially since we have the minimally invasive glaucoma surgery, that patients can tolerate those procedures much better. Uh, if we can control their, their diabetic macular edema, it really just leads to an overall better outcome for the patients. And I guess, Mitho, you've, you've, uh, you know, we'll get to efficacy, but you, you've brought us into an important point. We might as well jump on it now. You've talked about glaucoma, uh, and that's certainly one of the complications that we talk about with steroids, and you mentioned actually uh, that, you know, Luvian has a very predictable safety profile. Uh, you know, we know uh, from several studies that uh, it's very predictable up to 94% of patients, if they did not have a rise in IOP with previous steroid administration, did not have a rise in IOP with Luvian. Um, and we know that the rate of incisional surgery now with, uh, you know, real world uh, uh, data in the periodic safety update report is incredibly low uh, with you know, less than half a percent of patients needing IOP lowering surgeries. Uh, but, you know, the other big complication, cataracts, Christina, what do you, what do you tell your patients with cataracts or that are phagic that, that may require uh, long-term steroid therapy? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I feel that Mithil drew the shorter straw because I think glaucoma and elevated IOP are actually uh, one of the greater concerns, I would say, when it comes to steroids. For me, cataracts really, it's not that I don't, I'm not concerned about them, but in general, we know that, first of all, diabetes already contributes to the formation of cataracts. So a lot of these patients, when they come and see me, they already will have some trace nuclear sclerosis or one plus degree of nuclear sclerosis. And so what I tell them in general is, hey, I introduce that word to them very, very early on. I say, you've already got a small cataract in the back of your eyes. And that way, that doesn't come as a shock to them when you talk about cataract formation and the potential of that progression with steroid use later on. So that's one thing that I do. And then I, when I decide to use steroid therapy for a patient, I'll let them know that one of the uh, side effects that can happen as a result of using steroid therapy is that their cataracts are going to progress. So unless someone's starting from a clear lens, I never say that they will form cataracts. I usually use the word that the cataracts that they already have will progress. And then I tell them that that's the most common surgery that we do in the world. It's in general extremely effective, extremely safe, and most patients do phenomenally well after cataract surgery. And I highlight the fact that everybody in general speaking, um, will have to have cataract surgery eventually anyway. It's just that if I use this therapy to help control the more pressing issue of fluid on their retina, they may need that surgery a little bit earlier, but they would also be able to then reap those benefits earlier on. And I, I feel like patients have really taken well to that. So to me, I don't consider cataracts a complication of steroids. I consider them a known side effect. And, and if you appropriately counsel them, I think that patients are really very understanding of uh, what can happen with that regard. And the reason I think that's important 
Jorge, is that although we talked about the ideal patient being pseudophagic, I will say, and probably you you both have as well, I have used alluvian and other steroid therapies for phagic patients um, on occasion because sometimes their disease otherwise cannot be controlled. And uh, we know from multiple studies looking at steroids intravitreally that a lot of times when these patients have their, their cataracts taken out eventually, they will regain all that vision back. So whatever you see as loss, quote unquote, uh, during the period of cataract formation is really only temporary in most cases. Well, great. That, uh, I'm bringing a big sigh of relief because we've addressed the elephant in the room uh, when it comes to talking about steroids, which is the complications, right? Uh, and Christine, I like the way you said that it's not really a complication, it's a known side effect. And I think that uh, these things are manageable. Uh, as Mittal said with the glaucoma portion, uh, you know, uh, glaucoma management has gotten significantly better. Uh, our steroid therapies have gotten significantly better, where because of the pharmacotherapy of these drugs, we have very predictable uh, uh, IOP response. And again, I'll, I'll point to the fact that the, the rate of complications with alluvian is, is very low and that uh, we have a very predictable IOP response with 94% of patients. I believe that you should co-manage these patients in some degree with specialists. And, and then I think cataract surgery, you make a great point. Uh, you know, I tell patients it's of no use to you to have a clear lens if your retina doesn't work. Uh, and I think that we uh, can put our surgical hats on for a little bit and think that we would not hesitate to fix a damaged retina surgically, uh, even though we know 100% of the time we're going to cause a cataract with vitrectomy surgery. So I like to think about that in the same exact way. Uh, I'm fixing uh, a retina, and if the lens happens to become cataractous in the in the in the interim, uh, so be it. That's a problem I'll deal with, uh, or one of my colleagues will deal with fairly easily. But now that we've gotten, uh, you know, the big barrier to steroid use, um, you know, let's talk about, you know, what is our ideal patient for not just steroid use, because I think we've talked about the the need to treat inflammation, but but what are those patients where you think, I need a long-term sustained uh, steroid relief? So let's talk about maybe treatment burden. Um, and I think this is particularly apropos now during COVID times where, where we're doing a lot more uh, infrequent visits uh, and and we're starting to realize the, the advantages of not having patients come in so often. So, you know, Christina, what, what role does treatment burden play if you've identified a patient that would require steroid therapy uh, when you're choosing something like Alluvian uh, to treat these patients? Absolutely. Well, I think there's two points to treatment burden. And I think sometimes we underestimate what a big deal that is because I always think about it like this, Jorge. I'm in the office, you know, whatever days my clinics are, are here but you don't think about what the patients have to go through to come see you, right? So they're often driving from very far away, Texas Medical Center is super busy, they have to drive through all that traffic and then park, wait for me for two hours in my clinic, embarrassingly, <laughs> and then finally get you know a, sh a shot in their eye or, or you know poked and prodded and looked at. It it's not a great experience for them. And as a result, a lot of patients' treatment burden ends up resulting in lower efficacy of um, outcomes, or excuse me, lower visual acuity outcomes, because they may not come as frequently as we need them to. And we see that time and time again, especially with the diabetic population, they really, really struggle uniquely, I think, with compliance. So first of all, treatment burden, 
can impact efficacy of the treatments you are giving, and it can impact their long-term and short-term visual acuity outcomes. So that I think is a big deal. Second of all, these patients, as Mithul talked about earlier, already have numerous other medical visits. And so, you know, it's hard for them to integrate and balance additional visits coming in every month and spending the whole day in your clinic. It is really very difficult for them to do that. And so if there are ways that we can decrease treatment burden for them, I think that is extremely worthwhile. But for me, one of the biggest things is just having that continuous microdosing on board as sort of a platform of therapy for them, even in those times where they may not be able to come in. And I say that with a little bit of a grain of salt because of course patients still do need to be compliant. I think compliance is an important characteristic in targeting an ideation for steroid or alluvian therapy because we do need to monitor them for things like IOP rise. But at the same time, as we have all seen in the COVID-19 period of time, I can tell you that patients who are not able to come back for several months, I have several examples of patients who had received a steroid depot that was longer acting of some sort, either dexamethasone or the fluosinolone implant, and they did a whole lot better in terms of what their OCTs looked like after that loss to follow-up compared to patients who were receiving Q4-week anti-VEGF. Yeah, I think you bring up a good point where, where you know, treatment burden is not just, um, you know, treatment per se. I think uh, it, we should talk about visit burden. And and while I agree that, that close compliance is, is important, predictability uh, is important in reducing that overall visit burden, uh, not just for efficacy, but also for complicating factors. And, and I think that uh, one of the things that, that the Paladin data and the user data uh, has shown us with Alluvian is that once you see an effect, that effect is constant and persistent and predictable so that you obviously don't only have to reduce the number of injections that a patient may get, and, and that includes you know injections with Alluvian, but also obviously anti-VEGF injections, but that those effects are, are predictable so that perhaps the amount of monitoring visits can diminish as well. And so it reduces treatment burden. I don't know, Mitchell, what, what has been your experience uh, in patients that you've administered Alluvian uh, to as far as that sort of, uh, you know, predictability of response? Yeah, it, it's been very good. And it's a really good word to use, predictability, because uh, again, this is a group of patients who, for the most part, are still working. And they're reliant on that job for their health insurance to get the treatments they need for not just their eye disease, but for the rest of their diseases as well. And especially in this COVID era, where we're worried about um, the economy and people are worried about losing their jobs, they're no-showing at a very high rate in my clinic. I don't know about you guys, but the patients that are no-showing are almost exclusively diabetic patients in, in my office. And having the ones that had Alluvian on board really gave me some peace of mind. And when I did finally see them, they were well controlled because we'd already screened them for IOP rise before we gave them Alluvian. And like you said in the data before, 94% of the patients who didn't have a problem before won't have a problem with Alluvian. And I haven't had one, knock on wood, that actually did have an IOP rise with Alluvian because I did screen them properly. And so we're finding that to be a very effective and very predictable thing to do and, and look at in these patients, uh, in patients who, who are on Alluvian and, and is helping treat their, their diabetic macular edema. 
So I think that that really is the the driving force uh, among using Alluvian, and it's very helpful, especially in this era. Well, with that, I think uh, we've talked long enough, and I know that uh, this bunch could probably talk a lot longer. Um, I'd like to thank uh, Christina and Mittel for making my job much, much easier than uh, the moderator of the presidential debate. Uh, you two are uh, very interesting to talk to and very civil, so I appreciate that. And uh, thank you guys for all your insights uh, into the pathophysiology of DME, the role that inflammation plays, and how you guys manage that in the real world. So uh, I'd like to thank both of you. Thanks, Jorge. This was really fun, and I hope you both stay safe. Yeah, Jorge and Christina, thank you for hanging out with us, and we can nerd it out later next time. Bye.